Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. And welcome to Cats and Cosby. Boy, what a busy news day, John. I can't believe so much news happening, and we have a full show coming up. And uh, we also have, by the way, the big news, of course, um, House Speaker McCarthy. That was a stunner that he said he's not going to be there till the, and he's leaving at the end of the year. I mean, that's another Republican seat they lost. Now, yesterday, uh, in, in the studio, we have uh, Rudy Washington. He used to be deputy mayor under uh, Rudy Giuliani. Another Rudy, two different Rudys, and uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. And yesterday, Rudy, we talked about... We talked about the fact that why did they kick Sanchez, uh, not Sanchez, Santos. Santos out? Well, you know, John, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm beginning to lose a lot of faith in, in the Republican Party. I mean, it's, it's I mean, stupid. We, we shoot ourselves in the foot every single time. You're working with a thin margin. Uh, you got a loyal Republican vote. He's not running again. He wouldn't win again. We have a better chance with Trump at the top of the ticket to control that seat to win it. The odds are against us. And, and if Swazi, they say Swazi could spend $20, 25000000 million, the Republicans would have to spend $20, 25000000 million. That's a, that's, that's a lot of money for one house That's a lot of seat. money for a lot of garbage, for, for, for stupidity. So in two days, on a thin margin, we lose two seats. Yeah, that's in two incredible. Days. And, and he's bringing up, by the way, you can't make this up. We talked about yesterday he's on Cameo. <laughs> he's on Cameo. People are charging. I think it's like, uh, I think he charges 300 something. Believe it or not, he put out a message, you guys, a few hours ago. And he said it was his message to Bob Menendez saying, uh, Senator Bob Menendez, they're coming for you next. Stay strong. Fight. Uh, but it's an interesting point. I never thought I'd say this, John, but, uh, John Fetterman is looking like the measured one in the Senate. I couldn't believe I'm saying that. He's been very tough on and supportive of Israel, very, very staunch supporter of Israel. And he came out and said uh, about Santos, why are you doing that? If that's the case, go after Menendez, the double and, standards. And, and, and he made a lot of sense. He yeah. was able to articulate very well. Yeah. I was surprised. That was the and biggest accomplishment <laughs> of all, Rudy. Now, uh, Judge Weinberg, we were talking before, and uh, uh, they said uh, that uh, uh, we should go after, uh, uh, what did they want to do about Hamas? Oh, yeah. This is uh, Merrick Garland. This is the attorney general um, said that they are war going crimes. to start investigating war, war for war crimes. John, war uh, crimes. Hamas. Yeah. Uh, yeah but How about the people that... Funded. That funded him. Yeah. How about the Iranians that wrote the checks? Yeah, and how or about, if uh, it was the George Soros that wrote the checks? And, and, you, have that, and you have that, that married couple. That crime. You have a American married couple who've been sending a lot of money across to these organizations. You can't make up what's going on. No, uh, you know, John, I look at the world, I look at these college campuses, and um, what people should be saying, they should be telling Hamas, put down your weapons, surrender, release the hostages. And then the world will step in and try to mediate something. That's but the first thing they should have said. That's Rudy. what they should be first saying. First thing they should say, yes. give up the hostages, surrender, and then you can have a ceasefire again. And by right. the way, let's be clear. They had a ceasefire before they did the incursion and tortured all those people to death and killed them. Listen, I mean, you know, those it's, are just paid mercenaries. It's disgusting, Somebody John. paid them 10000 bucks a piece 
and gave him guns and said, go out and have a good time. And now, John, to the point that all of you are saying, where are the people saying, you know what, even if, say, they donated to a group and maybe they're claiming, well, we didn't know where the money went, ask for your money back. If you had any money that went to these barbarians, shame on you. And you know, I Rich, mean, that's disgusting. I was talking they're in my remarks. Get, nobody's going to get their money back. No. But, but they should be... Part of the crime, because if they didn't pay those Hamas guys, there would have been no crime. I agree. I agree. I'm talking about what Judge Weinberg's talking about, how some of them are funding it to some of these Democrat or these organizations. Which are fronts. That are fronts. That are fronts. And and they are in the United States, to your point. As sad as it might be, we funded that war. I mean, Absolutely. You know, yeah. we, we, you know we, you. we lifted the Barack sanction. Barack Obama. Right. Well, thank you, Barack Obama. So, Obama. So what what are you saying, Rich? We, there's no blood on our hands. Yeah. It's maybe on theirs, but yeah, not no. ours. By doing what they did with the right. oil. Right. When President Biden did with the oil. Exactly. They funded. And what he did with Afghanistan, it gave a license Exactly. To Russia to attack the Ukraine. Exactly. Two billion are, a week. We are a bunch of wimps. Yeah. It's okay. disgusting. Now, well, well, now Venezuela. Yes. Venezuela is going to attack the Guyana. country next Guyana, Guyana. Right. Do you know why? Because she doesn't expect uh, they're emboldened. So, yeah. They they feel that they can get away with it. You know, you want to, I, something that really rang powerfully to me earlier today. Remember, originally they were going to give the six billion separate than the two billion a week that John's right. talking about. Going to right. give six billion. Then there was another ten billion. That means sixteen billion. You know the fund package, the aid package that's being talked about for Israel, fourteen billion. Put that in perspective. That's Trump Put, change. That's my, Rita, that's the my six point. Billion that they released to Iran that's is Trump change. Point. That's my point. If they're allowing Iran to uh, to, to do three and a half. Million barrels a day, they're making two billion dollars a week in profit. So, and how disgusting okay. is that's and, my point. And what is her Is Christine on yet? Yeah, she's on. She's right. on. She's fired up and Christine ready. Christine Nicholas, you represent oh, the Broadway God. Association. How many how many theaters are going to go broke because of congestion prices? Yeah, and also by the way, Christine is president of Nicholas Lentz and also represents everything basically in Times Square. What a mess! You guys didn't tell me oh. you were going to have one of my favorites on. We're, we were working up to it. Washington, it's so good to hear your voice. Oh my goodness, I feel like we're back at the eight a.m. staff meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so Rita, yeah, talk oh about God. what a disaster. When judge, look, I don't think. God willing, Broadway theaters won't go out of business with the congestion pricing. But I don't think they're going to make the profits uh, that they need to make in order to take chances on Broadway shows because Broadway shows are always. Oh, the dogs wanted to have a say in this too. They're going to the. We love dogs. We love dogs. (laughs) By the way, they may make more sense than the congestion uh, the board. But go ahead. I, I ran home to change before the Queen. Uh, Chamber of Commerce dinner where they're going to be honoring Peter Valone. Uh, Wonderful. And Jen Weprin. Wonderful. Yeah, so I just came home to get on my, my gown to head off to another event. But for congestion pricing, speaking of people that live in Queens and the Bridge and Tunnel folks, Long Island, New Jersey, this is a double toll for them. And this is the same group that we need to bring back to the theater. Of all of the theater tickets, about 30% comes from the tri-state commuter area that you can imagine. That is the slowest lag. They are not coming back to Broadway 
the foreign tourists are coming back. The New Yorkers have come back. But when you look at this very valuable group of bridge and tunnel folks, they haven't come back for a couple of reasons. They are nervous and concerned about congestion pricing. We're just giving them another reason not to come back. And this is not the right time. You know what I said to them, and the MTA approved it today, I understand. And what I said to the mayor, I I said to the governor, you know, maybe you should delay it a few years until New York gets back on its feet. And and by the way, Mayor Eric Adams, to his credit, did express some reservations about congestion pricing. I mean, now I understand the mayor is on his way to Washington. Yeah, but here's the latest, guys. Uh, First, it sounded like he was having a meeting about the migrants at the White House, and it was described that way even by him in the briefing. Uh, But now there's a headline. You're ready for this, Christine, where it came out saying that he is going to D.C., but he's going for a holiday party with Biden administration officials. And it's not even clear if he's going to have a White House meeting. Yeah. Uh, well, but, you know, Rita, a lot of a lot of work gets done at those holiday parties. Right, Rudy? I mean, a, a yep. lot of chit chat. This is where you can be face to face with constituents. And hopefully Mayor Adams, who has so much clout and he's so well liked uh, in the Washington circles, they know who he is. He'll be able to get his message across. So I think it's the right thing for him to, to go down, even for a holiday party, uh, preferably to have like a face to face meeting in the White House. But we'll take what we can get. But, you know, one message I think is clear in the business community, in the theater community, in the Times Square community, in the tourist community, congestion pricing. It's just not the right time. This was debated five years ago when the economy was great. Uh, business was booming. Broadway was booming. Restaurants were doing great. This is not the same New York as it as it was five years ago. Uh, as Larry Kudlow said yesterday at the Police Athletic League luncheon, inflation is exceeding income. So people may be making more money. We have great um, a workforce now that is higher than it's ever been, but their real wages are lower because of inflation. Uh, So those real wages are just going to get hammered now even more with congestion pricing. And, Christine, I think the restaurants will get a heavier impact than Broadway, Um, you know, because a lot of people come in uh, for dinner. uh, Even after a Broadway show, they will go Mm -hmm. for dinner. But, you know, it would be very, very expensive. And um, we forget that our first responders all south of 60th Street, most of them drive in. Um, right. You know, firehouses, police stations, most of them drive in. All you got to do is walk past one and you see yep. the parking permits. Um, now well, those people. Yeah. The shifts are so odd. And it's uh, and look, let's face it. If, if this is really going to help congestion pricing, I think people like me would would suck up and, you know, not worry about the fifteen dollars or. The $45 if you're coming from uh, Staten Island or Queens or New Jersey because it's it's a double toll. But if we really thought it was going to help, we would probably not be so upset. But I think we all know what this is. This is just another tax. It's another way for the MTA to it's, raise much-needed dollars. It's a revenue it they, need, they need money, but they could – yesterday, I'll just tell you quickly. I took the subway yesterday, uh, 42nd Street. Somebody was holding the door. Uh, you know, holding the gate open, you know, while they had their bucket and they were, you know, asking for tips because they were giving everybody a free ride. I still swiped my card. Most people swipe their cards because that's theft if you if you go for free. But there is no consequence to the crime of fare evasion anymore. And two years ago, the chairman of the MTA, General, uh, General Lieber, he said that he was going to crack down on fare evaders. 
He now is not able to do that because of the laws in place that note that have decriminalized fare evasion. So he can't even raise the $700 million that the ferry that is from fare evasion. They lose that every year from people, you know, Christine, Christine, the money that's going to fare evasion. I heard a number of, that used to be two hundred million. Now it's eight hundred million, and yeah, all okay. the uh, and all the money that they're going to take in from congestion pricing might be six, seven hundred million. So right. guess what? There's no money yeah. going to the MTA for capital improvements. So it's a money grab, is what you're saying. It's just uh, it's trying a money to feed. Grab yeah, and it, you know, and if if the congestion was going to be helped, Rita, that would be one thing. But we know why the congestion is what it is. It's because there's no enforcement. No. Uh, Besides that, congestion is because they they, they closed off all the uh, the, the bike lanes. lanes. The bike bike lanes. lanes. Bike yeah, lanes. that's that's what I'm saying. They're not fixing the bike lanes; they're adding more. You know, and and, and they're not taking care of the bicycles. People are getting yeah. killed on bicycles, and they're going the wrong way, and there's no control. Yeah. And they're riding on the sidewalks. And guess, which guess, guess a lot of them are these illegal migrants too that yeah. are doing it. So you can't track them down. I mean, it's yeah. like it's a scary situation. So I'm with you, John. I think let's give it some time. Let's review it a little bit more, because if you do want to, uh, if you need to raise money for the NTA, there are probably other ways of doing it. Uh, there's probably fair, more, you know, ways of tolling people, right? Uh, it, oh, I, I suggest, you, you know, I hate to say this expression. You know what the old Greeks used to say, Christine? Oh, uh, they're, they're, suck- the they're, they're sucking our blood. Let me know. They're sucking our blood. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Chuck. I'm not going to take this anymore. Okay, now we got, we got on the line, coming on, and he's mad as hell as, uh, on a lot of things, but he's much more civilized than we are. Yeah, I mean, Michael Goodwin. A lot more than me. Uh, Michael Goodwin, of course, the Pulitzer Prize winning columnist there of the New York Post. And, Michael, uh, you had a column. It was spot on. Biden is risking Israel's security. Explain, because this waffling is all over the place. Uh, thank you, Rita. Look, I think it's a, it's a kind of simple formula. It's domestic politics. His reelection campaign is uh, now uh, at least as important to him as Israel's security. And so he has, I believe, ramped up his criticism of Israel and the demand for uh, more and more humanitarian aid, calling for pause, longer pauses, that sort of thing, all because uh, the youth vote. Many young voters uh, do not like Israel, are protesting against it. Uh, the Muslim Americans, of course, are raised to hate uh, uh, Israel in, in the countries from where they were born, if, if they were, if they are immigrants. Uh, and so I think the president is bowing to that kind of pressure. And I think it's unfortunate. Uh, it's not leadership. It's not good for the United States. I mean, as I say in the column, you know, we must always remember uh, Israel is the canary in the coal mine for the West and the United States. The, it, should they, uh, the, the terrorists, overrun Israel, eliminate Israel as they say they will do, well, they're not going to stop there. I mean, this is Iran. These are people all funded by Iran. This is world conquest. Uh, so we are in Iran's uh, vernacular, the great Satan. Israel is the little Satan. So that's just step one in their plan. And Biden should recognize that. He used to know that, but he seems to have forgotten it in the heat of uh, 
in the heat of uh, the the panic over the polls. And you know what, Michael Goodwin, what exactly what you're saying, what's stunning to me is here we've got uh, we've got she's head of the Progressive Caucus, this Pramila Jayapal. She just tried to, I should say, try to fix her previous comment and it made it worse, I think saying that there needs to be a balance. You saw that comment where she said there needs to be a balance when criticizing Hamas and their horrible uh, atrocities, including rape and all these horrible things we've heard of late uh, with Israel. There, there, To me, there's obviously no moral equivalency. It's shameful. And then she tried to clean it up. President Biden has said nothing. And what is he saying to these protesters that are chasing Jewish students and teachers? Right. He's been silent on all of those things. I mean, you think about what's going on in this country. Forget the world for a second. What's going on in this country vis-a-vis the anti-Semitism, the college issues? I mean, UPenn, what? Three-quarters of his family went to the University of Pennsylvania. Doesn't he have anything to say about this? Uh, can can a reporter ask him a question about this? Where the, the Biden Center? The Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania, where the classified documents were found? All of these connections, all of these issues, and he's silent because, A, I think his incoherence is part of the reason why the the handlers don't let him out of the White House very often. But the other thing is, he, for a lot of the Democratic core constituents, he's on the wrong side of the Israel issue. And that's just staggering when you think of that, that essentially Israel is in a fight for its existence. It was attacked by terrorists who slaughtered innocents, took hostages, are holding those hostages, uh, filmed their atrocities. And the president of the United States cannot raise his voice uh, in defense of Israel and the, um, um, in the midst of those marches and those horrible, the anti-Semitism, the, the swastikas being painted all over places. He cannot raise his voice in this. I mean, he, he did say something at a fundraiser, apparently, the other night. But even after he criticized the Hamas death statistics, which everyone knows are made up, the next day, he apologized to a group of Muslim yes, Americans. right. He apologized, saying, sorry that I, I was not nice to well, Hamas, basically. Sorry, I spoke the truth. Yeah, we have Judge Richard Weinberg here, <laughs> Michael Goodwin. Michael, we're also very, very troubling was the testimony of these college presidents before Congress, and they're waffling. They cannot speak the truth. They cannot condemn the anti-Semitism and harassment and intimidation on college campuses. What's wrong with the college administrators, Michael? Look, I I think it was uh, an eye-opener for anybody who was still in doubt that things are as bad as some of us say they are. I mean, here you have presidents of three top education institutions, the elite, right, real elite, and they cannot, as you say, they cannot muster the courage to denounce anti-Semitism without putting it in a category of hate, right? It has to, it has to meet a certain thing. So even though the question that Elise Stefanik uh, was asking them, does it violate your code of conduct, they could have said 
No, but I condemn it and I denounce it and I don't want anybody doing that on my there was they could have at least expressed their own opinion of condemnation and said we will work to change this code of conduct. We know we have a there was no humility. There was no recognition of a problem. It was smirking. It was they it it, it looked as though they had practiced together. They would all say the same thing so there would be no deviance, no daylight between them. And I also thought that the smirking was looking down on Stefanik. I mean, who is this Republican woman from upstate New York uh, uh, talking to us this yeah, way? Who are was, these people? It was. I mean, it, was it was really was condescending. I think, was part of it. I agree. It was so troubling. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thank you so much. We always love having you on and always are reading your great columns there in the New York Post. My pleasure. Thank you all. Thank you, Michael. And, uh, John, when we come back, we... Let's take a break, and yeah. when we come back, we're going to have the three-star chief, Michael Kemper, in charge of the Transit Authority uh, for the uh, NYPD. And uh, let's find out the truth. What the heck is going on in the subway system? Let's take that break. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And We're back. Yes, we are back, everybody. And we continue. We have also Judge Weinberg and Rudy Washington, a relative, a distant relative of George Washington here also. Very in distant. The, very distant. Thank you. <laughs> All right, in the studio. We love having Rudy, former deputy mayor of New York. And joining us now here with us is Chief Mike Kemper. He is the chief of transit at the New York City Police Department. And Chief, we're so honored to have you here. Uh, thank you for joining the show. And, and we want to get an update from you on what what's the latest on, you know, especially on the subways, too. Just give us the stats and how things are doing. Uh, first of all, good afternoon, and <clears throat> thanks for having me. So I'll get right into it. Look, um, you, when looking at crime in the subway system this year, we've, we've been making progress all year in relation to overall crime. You know, as of today, overall crime uh, is down versus last year. We're down 52 less crime victims this year versus last year. And uh, that's a big deal because if you remember where we were last year at this very time, we were up over 40 percent in crime. You know, robberies are down uh, this year. Murders are down. Shooting incidents are down. Rapes are down. Grand larceny is down. And we look at this as progress and this progress we're proud of and progress we want to see continue into the new year. But I, I, I need to say this. We clearly recognize we still have a lot of work to do and we are not waving the flag of victory by by any sense. Uh, you know, our goal is to allow our riders, you know, really to get from point A to point B, uh, free from becoming a victim of a crime and free from fear. You know, um, Chief Kemper, as you're talking to, is it also helping because now more people are at least getting back onto the subways? And I can tell you, and, and I speak, I know, for everybody here, we love our men and women in blue. Every time I see uh, when I have been on the subway and I see like, a, you know, a law enforcement, I'm like, whoo, how are we doing in terms of staffing, too, on the subways as well? Yeah, so you hit one point, I'll hit two. Ridership is up also. So crime is down and ridership is up to the highest level since uh, since COVID. We're averaging right now uh, uh, just hovering around 4 million paid riders a day in the subway system. You know, it's interesting, just to put that number in perspective, 4 million riders a day, that's more, that's more than the entire population of Los Angeles, just in one day in the subway wow. system in the city, which says a lot you know, to the sheer size and magnitude of this system. But staffing uh, in the uh, Transit Bureau is up. 
um, actually versus uh, prior years, uh, particularly recent years. Look, this mayor, this administration has been clear from day one that, you know, uh, you know, crime and reducing crime was their top priority. And, you know, real significant investments have been made into public safety, including the subway system. So. So, yeah. On on fair jumping, how's that going? Uh, uh, what do you? I mean, I heard numbers. I heard, I heard crazy numbers that in twenty twenty it was two hundred thousand, and now it could be as high as seven eight hundred thousand. Are those numbers anywhere correct? So the MTA would have stats on how many people are fair evading. I could talk stats on our fair evasion enforcement, which is up dramatically, and which is a key component of our crime reduction strategy. There's so much value, John, there's so much value with, uh, you know, just turnstile presence and fair evasion enforcement. We probably need a whole show to speak about that. But if you want to talk about fair evasion uh, enforcement, uh, you know, we have over 123,500 fair evasion contacts this year alone. And a fair evasion contact is, is uh, I'm including a summons and or arrest. And that's that's a, a 50% increase versus last year. So I think that speaks to our, uh, you know, our focus, uh, you know, really a hyper focus on the value of fair evasion. Mike, Mike, it's Richard Weinberg. So when you and I were at lunch yesterday, we raised two issues. One, it's no longer a crime to be a fair evader. And when I was on the bench, it was a misdemeanor. And two, the good news is, and that's bad news. I was going to say that's, that's bad. A, that's right? the bad news. But the good news is you're still allowed to do the warrant checks, which is very important. Would you explain that? Yeah, Judge. So, you, you know, if you there's stock differences in relation to fair evasion and the consequences associated with fair evasion today versus, you know, years past. And, you know, the consequences have been lowered and some may say greatly lowered. You know, just a few years ago, cops were arresting so many people uh, when you fair evaded. So many people were being arrested. And that's just not happening now. And it's not happening because we woke up as a police department and said we don't want to arrest people. It's happening rather because of the quote unquote decriminalization of fair evasion, the new policy set in place. You know, look, 97 percent of the people we stop for fair evasion, 97 percent are released within minutes with a civil summons. And you're right, Judge, that civil summons, the consequences are so much different than uh, than that be, uh, being a criminal. Right. A civil summons, you know, is usually a monetary fine. Uh, and if you don't answer that, there's no warrant issued. Where what about was- what about when you confront somebody, you're allowed to do a warrant check? Would you explain that to our listeners? Right. So I said 97 percent of the people are released with that civil summons. That three uh, percent comes from us uh, encountering fair evaders that have active warrants. So that's three percent. That's what it equals. Wow. So very quickly, Chief, um, what's your message to people listening? Because people are still nervous about subway. They see crime. Um, you know, they're still concerned. Uh, I can I smell marijuana in every block. I smell it all over the place, including in the subways. Yeah. Um, but what's, what's your message to folks listening out there? Look, my message. Listen, I have so many messages. First and foremost, the subway system is safe. People should use the subway system. It's the greatest uh, means of transportation. It, literally, you can get from. Uh, lower Manhattan to Midtown Manhattan within minutes. Try to do that in a car. It's safe. Crime is down. Um, it, and the cops, the cops, the men and women that police the subway you know, system, the NYPD, they're just extraordinary people. And I mean that. 
They do exceptional work. They do brave work under real challenging uh, conditions, dangerous environments. And the respect I have for them is, is, is so great. And I'm, I'm proud of them for so many reasons. And it, it's an honor. And I say this with all sincerity. It's an honor for me to be in a position to tell this story such as I'm telling right now. Well, we love them and we appreciate them, too. Uh, Chief Mike Kemper, thank you so much for being here with us. We really appreciate it. And thank you. And, John, thank you and everyone for your unwavering support thank of the you. NYPD. Always. Thank Unwavering. you. You're Unwavering right. is for sure. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Well, let's take a break right now. And when we come back, uh, th- uh, we have a, a guy from No Labels, yeah. a congressman from South Carolina. There's a rumor. There's a rumor that they're going to give Nikki Haley the No uh, the, uh no Labels, maybe maybe a part of the No Labels train. I mean, we'll find I, out. I don't know what to believe anymore. Go ahead. Take that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And before we bring in our next guest, uh, this was so sad, you guys. Somebody who created as the producer of some of the biggest sitcoms ever, Norman Lear, the legendary TV producer, uh, died at the age of 101. And, uh, John, so many, some, some we of lost a lot of hundred year olds lately. Uh, boy, by the way, I hope we're all around at 101. I'll take a hundred. I'll take, yeah, I'll, I'll take 99. I'll, I'll take 98. 95. Where's that? Yeah, yeah, but, but here's, here is some, here's one of his hit shows, which many of you will recognize. Hello, Archie. How was your day? Lousy, ain't it? Lousy. <laughs> The world out there is full of nuts and fruitcakes, and sometimes I think I want to go the same way. Oh, no. oh be prepared, Edith. If I got to ride them subways another two years, you're going to have to check me into a rubber room. Oh, my God. That's great. Oh, my God. All nothing has changed. Nothing, I was going to say, that's like us today, right? Um, also, by the way, he had Maude and he had the Jeffersons. Um, some of the biggest hits ever. Uh, Good Time, Samford and Son, One Day at a Time. The list goes on and on. What a legend. And um, what a great life, 101. And uh, joining us now to talk about the political spectrum. And there's a rumor out there, John, about some interesting who might be on a no-labels ticket. Um, joining us now is the national director of No Labels. He also was a congressman from the great state of South Carolina. I went to University of South Carolina, uh, first congressional district, former South Carolina congressman Joe Cunningham. Uh, congressman, great to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me on. You know, and take good care of South Carolina. Okay, I'm a Gamecock. You know that. All right. Um, We're doing our best down here. That, you know, what, what is did we What's heard a rumor on, yeah, about Nikki Haley? Yeah, look, look, I see that flying around. The truth is, you know, no labels is having discussions with a lot, a lot of candidates, a lot, a lot of interest in this, as you might imagine. Uh, you know, uh, as your listeners, I'm sure, are agreeing, nodding their head right now. Most Americans don't want to see a rematch between Trump and Biden. And so what we've been doing is we've been busy the last year and a half getting ballot access on uh, a dozen states, and we're going to be active in 27 states before the end of the year. We've already got over a million signatures. That's because Americans want another option. Uh, So we're going to be talking to lots lots of folks uh, over the next couple months and look to field a ticket probably sometime after Super Tuesday uh, next year. So what about Nikki Haley? Because I think it was uh, Joe Lieberman, who, of course, is one of the head folks there who we love. 
um, and the former senator and, and VP candidate, um, he said, Nishi, we're looking into her. He didn't say no when someone sort of brought up Nikki Haley. Is it, is it a, an option that she may be part of no labels? Are you looking at obviously a whole bunch of folks, but she's an impressive woman. Yeah, she, she is. And, and look, um, you know, people will see her on the debate stage. She's had some good performances. Um, you know, the fact is that we, we're, we're a big organization and we have a large number of supporters. Um, you know, have I personally spoken with, spoken with her? No, I haven't. Uh, have others? Uh, possibly. Um, you, you know, uh, the, the truth is that there are a lot of people who are interested in getting other candidates other than Trump and Biden. Uh, and because America wants choices. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if... if Is anybody talking to Joe Manchin? He's doing a uh, a tour around the country to see what he's going to do. Look, there's uh, I'm sure there's discussions going on with a, a good number of people. Uh, all the folks who, you know, have national profiles, um, you know, who may not be interested or engaging in a primary uh, within their own party or, or, uh, or whatnot, but I mean, it, this goes back to giving America more choices. And so there's a lot of people out there that, that Americans want to see on the ballot. And unfortunately, we're, uh, we're seeing a rematch shaping up between Trump and Biden. Well, thank you for the report and, uh, Joe Cunningham and, uh, and, uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Well, thanks for having me. You have a good, e- good evening. Yeah. Thank you. By the way, did you guys see uh, the comment that uh, Biden made last night? Um, it's been cited all over the place. He was telling a group of donors, I don't know, I might not have been running for president if Trump wasn't. In other you words, mean he's running in, again. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Part of the reason he said he was running was because Trump was in the race and he, quote, feels he has unfinished business. Uh, the big debate, yeah, of course, tonight, done, too. He hasn't done enough harm in the last. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. He still wants to do more harm. The, yeah, the board well, is secure. Remember, Mayorkas told us that, Judge. Remember? With <laughs> us uh, right now is a good friend. And uh, uh, tomorrow is the first day of Hanukkah. Rabbi uh, Joseph Potasnik, our favorite rabbi. How are you, Rabbi Potasnik? Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be with you. First of all, let me apologize to all of you for the, all the Hanukkah traffic in New York. <laughs> I know it's it's paralyzing at times. It'll be over in eight days. We we ask for forgiveness. So I, we'll let it slide. So Rabbi, did you pray for me? This is Rudy Washington. You know what I do, and God says, "Don't stop praying." I got to keep. Gotta keep <laughs> yeah, you know, you know Rudy there's no, well. There's no abbreviated prayer for you. Yeah, that's a long prayer, Rudy. That's a really long prayer. Hey, tell us about the symbolism, you know, this year and how important. Obviously, Hanukkah is such an important, important um, holiday uh, time in the Jewish faith, but also it's a tough time, uh, Rabbi Potasnik. You know, we've known you for so many years. And I, I can't imagine how I have so many friends of the Jewish faith, as you know, um, and they are so there's a nervousness this year. There's there's my prayers are with you and, and so many of the Jewish faith during this time. Well, it's a it's a difficult time for a host of reasons. I mean, obviously, we hold the candles, but we're also holding hostages in our in our hearts as they're being held. It's a difficult time because we place the Hanukkah menorah in the window it's to be, displayed, to be displayed publicly, and then you see acts of hatred against Jews who in any way are in public and identified as Jews. You know, I, I was telling someone today, years ago, the Ku Klux Klan, they wore sheets over their heads. Today, hate mongers are out in the open. 
they're not even ashamed of what they're doing. They don't hide their animosity towards the Jews. So Hanukkah still says, in, in spite of everything, we will continue to not only to live, but to live as proud Jews. So we'll light the candles, we'll remember the hostages, we'll put the menorahs in the window, and we'll say we're here and we're going to remain here. Uh, Rabbi, I know you, you've been attached to the fire department for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you watched Director Ray's testimony yesterday. How concerned are you about that? Very concerned. Look, if it can happen on college campuses and anybody who watched those hearings you weren't very reassured by the remarks of the presidents of the so-called elite schools. If it can happen on college campuses where people are educated, receiving a, you know, a great education, it can happen anywhere else. So the, the terrorism threat, whether it comes externally or internally, uh, we are very, very worried. The, the, the other part of this is, Rudy, that we have friends like those in the studio we have Cardinal Dolan, who has been with us from day one, uh, who has stood strong and says, I am also, you know, a spiritual Semite. So I, I think we're reassured by that, but it's still a time to worry. You know, in the Inquisition, Spanish Inquisition, Jews were, were Jews in private. You couldn't be a Jew in public. You know, we have what's called Moranos. So you practiced your Judaism indoors. But outside, you try to blend in like everybody else. Who would have thought that now in America, in a democratic country, we're back to the Middle Ages, where we're hiding our public Judaism? You know, um, Rabbi Potasnik, one of the things that um, was just absolutely gut-wrenching to me, uh, this happened in Philly, where there was a Jewish-owned business over the weekend, and they had this huge crowd outside shouting at the business, saying, you know, you know you're promoting genocide. Uh, it hearkened back to me, of, you know, what is it, 1938, uh, Um, You know, my father grew up right outside the Warsaw Ghetto. And um, so it was chilling, and it was so shameful and so disgusting. What What is going on through your mind during this time as you're seeing some of these things happening in our own country? You know, uh, where does it stem from? Are the kids, for example, who are doing this, are they learning this at home? They're learning it on social media. Are colleges receiving funds from foreign countries that determine who they're hiring, what programs they're going to introduce on campuses? So I think there are a lot of factors here. But I have to say, one of the stories I heard just today, that in some communities, they won't have a menorah lighting in public, as they usually do with the Christmas lighting, because they're afraid if they have a menorah lighting, there's going to be some assault. There's going to be some attack by some people. So we're in a very, very sad place. And we need people to speak out as loudly as possible. Jews speak out and non-Jews speak out. I was very uh, reassured by the words, was it Elise Stefanik yesterday in that hearing? Yes. She was outstanding. She wouldn't back off. That's the kind of spine you need to tell people, we will not tolerate this and you will be held accountable. And also telling young people, too, because that hearing was all about college campuses. And here we saw, you know, some of the top universities. I mean, it was Harvard, MIT, UPenn. Um, this is, you know, we have to save our young people, too, so they're educated when they're out there shouting river to the sea that they understand how offensive that is. Um, some of them living in dormitories, living yes. in dormitories that were uh, where there were Jewish benefactors, Jewish names on dormitories. And they're benefiting from Jewish generosity and they're, uh, you know, p- protesting against us.
Well, Joe, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. What's yeah. really troubling is the gutlessness and a lack of uh, moral compass on the part of the University of Presidents not calling this out. What do you think? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that you can give this speech about the ideals of democracy and free speech and kids are not free uh, to su- express their support for Israel? They're not free to walk on campus? I have a friend of mine who's at University of Pennsylvania. She takes all the classes on Zoom. She says, I'm not walking on the campus. I'm not going to endure that kind of abuse. Uh, you, so, know, you know, you know, it was know. chilling yesterday. Uh, Rabbi Potasnik was that Jewish student. He was from University of Penn, and he was talking about some of the names that were being thrown at him from fellow students. I mean, uh, how sad is that that we have come to this point in 2023 real quick? And can you imagine if you did that to some of the other groups in this country? Uh, as in the hearing, someone said, if you if you dare say kill African-Americans, would you tolerate that uh, president of Harvard? And she didn't have an answer. She just went on to her prepared remarks. Uh, this is what happens. Jews are, you know, they're the vulnerable ones today. And therefore, we need people with consciences, convictions to stand up and to shout. The Holocaust happened because we were silent instead of shouting. We have to shout. Absolutely. We have yep. friends like you and others who will not turn the other way, close their eyes or close their mouths. Make sure none of your parishioners give up their guns. That's all I can say. Yeah, Thank you. You know what? It's yep. how sad, right? It's sad. It is, it is correct. Because yeah, that's the yeah, way, that's the way Hitler did it. He made sure everybody's guns were turned in. You know, you got, uh, you pray to God to protect you. And now you have to have armed people there protecting you as well. It's the law yeah, of the jungle. Yeah, how yeah. sad. How it's sad. It's very sad, but, but the good strong people survive need, I was the weak say, die. Yes, and good people need to stand together too. That's the important message. The stand strong, strong survive, the weak die. Thank you, uh, Rabbi, and, uh, listen, happy listen, thank Hanukkah. You, you know, Friends are so appreciated uh, at all times, but especially during this time. And I cannot thank you enough uh, for the friendship that you have demonstrated to the Jewish people. Thank you. Thank you. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you, Rabbi. Let's take a break. And when we come back, who are we coming back with, Rita? We have Andy McCarthy, who's going to talk about some new details in the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden case. Let's take that break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. And next week, the House is going to vote to officially launch an inquiry for impeachment against Joe Biden formalizing it to give some oomph with the subpoenas. And joining us to talk about a whole bunch of this is Andy McCarthy, of course, the former assistant U.S. attorney. And, Andy, you had a great column talking about how, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, wait a minute, maybe it doesn't directly have, here's the money into Joe's account, even though there was some uh, some monthly payments recently. You have a story, yeah, a column, where you basically highlight from a legal perspective if somebody else in the family benefited, that that is enough to prove. Yeah, that's right. I, Rita, I've always thought that they have framed this the wrong way and played into the Democrats' hands by suggesting or accepting the suggestion that there's nothing wrong with $24 million being poured into the family coffers from corrupt and anti-American regimes as long as, uh, you know, some pluck nickel didn't make it its way to Joe Biden. And that's just the wrong way to look at it. He is the business. There would have been no business without him. And if we were just going to look at it technically as like an IRS matter, if 
you're uh, paying me for something, and I say to you, no, 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 don't pay me, pay my son, that's still income as to me as far as the IRS is concerned. So the whole thing, I just think, is a, is a, a stupid way of looking at it. That's a really good point because it's still a benefit. If somebody says, hey, uh, you know what, you, you don't have to pay me, but pay my son's tuition. Clearly, you're benefiting, you know, and it's, and it's a favor to a family member. Yeah, and it really, it stinks to high heaven. And the point is, with all of the regulations against self-dealing that exist in government, this scheme could not have gone on for five minutes unless he willfully participated in it. So this whole idea that he didn't know about it and he didn't, you know, prove to me that he got any money. We now know he did get money, but I, I really think that's beside the point. And they should be stressing that there wouldn't and couldn't have been a business without Joe Biden. Absolutely. And everybody, we're talking uh, to former assistant U.S. attorney Andy McCarthy, Judge Weinberg. And Andy, what I found very compelling is now there's seems to be evidence that using false names, he was communicating, as Joe Biden was communicating with business associates and partners of Hunter, which, of course, he denied he had any connection with the, the business, that there was a wall separating them. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I always think it's interesting the way they report this. So the way they're saying this now is, oh, we learned years ago during the Obama administration that these busy public officials have to use pseudonyms for their emails. And the point isn't so much that he used a phony name for an email account. It's who he was talking to and what they were talking about. So, um, you know, you always with this thing, Judge, I think you have to keep your eye on the ball because even as they put out things that are technically accurate, they still spin them in a way that's meant to, to conceal this whole thing. What about also Andy McCarthy, too? Um, the fact that there's been a lot of stonewalling, too. I mean, the, the pseudonyms, emails, there were, it's 82 or 83,000, supposedly, different emails. That's a lot of emails and a lot to, again, the business partners. And so far, as I've heard, um, the White House has handed over, it's either 12 or 14, not 1,000, yeah. 12 or 14 of 82. Uh, I, I, Is I that a real number, 14 pieces of paper instead of 82,000? 82, 82, Andy, on the is emails. that a true number? Yes, yeah, a true number. But, you know, every time this comes up, which historically has happened a lot more often in recent times than it than it did uh, in past American history. What you always have to remind people is that impeachment, which is the guise under which all this is happening, is a political process. It's not a legal one. And as long as Biden knows that there's no way that they're ever going to remove him or convict him in a Senate impeachment trial, I would expect the administration to keep dumb in its nose at, uh, you know, at the um, at the House committees, because they know in the end, what are they really going to do to them? Well, I, I have one more question and I've been quiet today. But the question is, the Supreme Court uh, voted uh, that he cannot uh, give away the country's money to the students on the student loans. And right. he's ignoring the Supreme Court. Who is well, no, the enforcement he's ignoring, on? He's, yeah. he's ignoring the House at the moment. Okay, but previous that, he's ignoring the Supreme Court, too. Well, yeah. No, look, if he flouts court orders, that's a bad thing. It, it, and what the court has done is obviously reverse some of what he's done. But in terms of, like, if you're a president who's abusing his authority, 
you do what you think you can get away with because he, he feels like he has impunity in the sense that there's no way he's ever going to be impeached or removed. The reason Madison wanted impeachment in the Constitution is he thought, and the framers thought, it was an indispensable weapon that Congress needed to address potential executive overreach. But if you don't believe that the Congress will actually impeach and remove you, you, the only limit on your behavior is what you think you can get away with politically. So uh, everybody believes that everybody's wasting their time because nothing's going to happen. That's what I think. Yeah, although who I knows, who so, knows no, what I comes out? That. I don't think I, I, I shouldn't say it's a waste of time. It's not a waste of time because they're exposing it and it's an important election. Okay. Exactly. Who knows what comes out in the process, at least from a political standpoint or whatever standpoint. And Andy McCarthy, thank you. You're working hard for the American people, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. And whatever you all stand for, truth, truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America.